I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The official Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. I'm Glenn Murray. And I'm Paul Haywood. Welcome to the official Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. It's the time of the year for reflection, and what a year it's been. Some people are calling it Brighton's best ever. Too much for one episode, in fact. We'll be doing a longer review of the year, a special souvenir edition featuring the best moments of 2023, according to you, the fans. But this special Christmas edition is all about the guests who've been on the show so far. We've had pop stars, boxers, and of course, Brighton football legends, past and present. You can listen to all of the episodes, and if you follow the show, you'll get them when they come out. Usually, that's every Tuesday, but we do have bonus episodes available too. Uh, And there's a reel of Glenn's bloopers at the end of the show. (laughs) So this first clip is a mystery clip for you, Glenn. Who's speaking here, and who's he talking about? I lose myself when we get into that rhythm of passing where not even the commentator can keep up with who's passed the who and how many times, and it's like, and there's a thing when we get that little rhythm, and all of a sudden the rest of the other, the other team just sort of disappear, and it's just like we go from there to there, and it's just shapes, and you just watch the ball going in those little shapes, and then at one point, that shape suddenly becomes one through ball that suddenly puts someone through, and whether it's, I don't know, I mean, I love, I love, I love that he, you know, he's got like three routes and three things he does and he picks mm. one of them. And even when they know he's going to do it, he still does it. Mm. Every time he goes down to the line, you know he's going to get that cross into six yard box. It's like, and I don't know how, you know, and they know he's going to do it. And I've seen players sort of give up in the second half. It's like, I don't know how, what juju he's doing to us, but he just keeps going past me. I believe that was Norman Cook, a.k.a. Fatboy Slim. And he was talking about... Karu Matoma. Surely. Yeah, the perfect guest to start the series, to start the new podcast. Norman was was brilliant. I mean, what a what a pro. He's a an entertainer in his own right, a kind of global entertainer. But what I, what I loved about it was the the fact that he sits there in the Amex watching Brighton play and disappearing into his own private world. He sees these kaleidoscopes, these passing patterns. He sees, he sees this, you know, brilliant side that he, uh, who are on a level that uh, way above the sides he started watching it with Dean, let's face it. And I, I, just, I just love the delight in his voice. Yeah, if, for me, um, I always find it incredible how you have famous people who are world-class at what they do in their own stage, watching footballers and watching the album. This this point is obviously about Norman, um, Fatboy Slim, and enjoying enjoying it just as much as what we would do if we went to one of his concerts. I, I always find that so crazy that, that um, famous people in the mainstream love football so much. He also looked at me and said, was Des Lynham unavailable? And I said, yeah, and he's more expensive as well. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Glenn, not so long ago, you'd have been sitting there preparing yourself for a, an insane 
Christmas fixture programme. What's that like for a player and how do you manage it? It's always a difficult topic to speak about because whenever you bring it up as a, as a professional athlete, uh, people think that you're mourning and that, that isn't the case at all. It's just sometimes I suppose you feel like you're missing out when, when the majority of people are off. Um, they can eat and drink what they wish, whether it be family, friends, whatever. And you're the one that's got to be professional. Um, you've got to leave. Leaving's the hardest part. Leaving the family on Christmas Day is the hardest part without any doubt. Some managers give you the day off. Sometimes you'll train in the morning. Other times you'll travel in the evening. Um, training in the morning wasn't too bad because it gets you out of the madness of the house, uh, all the toys that are ready to be built. Uh, so you can just waltz out the door and say, I've got to go training and have, have a little bit of a laugh with the lads because it is lighthearted. You do do your work, but it's a bit more lighthearted. You're not expected to come in for your prehab or your breakfast. It's literally whatever time the manager says, say 10.30 on the field and, and you get to go and that's it. But leaving is the hardest one in the evening when you've got to travel to an away game and your belly's full, the, everyone's happy, everyone's merry, all the presents have been opened and you've got to put your kit on and walk out the door just as it's getting dark and things are getting, let's say, a little bit merrier with the, with the drink selection. Um, so so that, that one point is probably one of the worst of being a professional footballer. Do you think the performances dip 5 or 10% over Christmas because the players have got those distractions? You know, Is there less intensity in the game possibly or is it hell for leather as usual? No, I think, I think it is hell for leather because there's a big audience, pro- probably bigger than normal at, at points during Christmas. More people are off work and I, that's me talking as, as a father uh having my own family whereas when you're a young lad you're not you might be leaving an empty flat so it, it's not not quite the same as leaving the family home but I have got one really funny story about Christmas actually it was back in the Gus Poyer days and lo and behold we had Dagenham and Redbridge away and he wanted us to travel on Christmas night up to a hotel just on the M25 and we as a group I don't think we stood up to him, but we we couldn't work out for the life of us why we couldn't do this journey on Boxing Day itself, get to the game and get sorted. But he wanted to be professional. We're obviously, that that was the year actually that we got promoted. So it, it, it was important. So we all reluctantly get up to Dagenham and get in some soulless hotel on Christmas night and put the TV on with the, all your only fools and horses and things on, but it's still not quite the same as being at home with the family. Get up on Boxing Day morning and the game was cancelled. Oh. <laughs> so we left <laughs> on Christmas night uh, for no reason at all in the end. Oh, God, I can imagine the mood on the way back on a coach. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Next up, here's a clip for you, Paul. Yeah, I'm fortunate that when I started playing, you know, I had good people I could learn off, but also, you know, the things were changing, like the cultures were changing. Um, you know, obviously not going out Saturday night all night day or Wednesday all day is drinking, nutritionists were coming in, um, starting to come in. Um, that was probably a bit later, but the gym was more important. Um, you know, one fitness coach was at a club. Now we have five or six, but treatment things like this we get very well looked after and we have all the facilities to be able to do that and um that that's a big part of it coming here 
is exciting because you know like the journey the club's been on it's it's new territory but can we create and add to the fantastic history of the club can we add something again and, and create a chapter which you know you can be remembered for that is the unmistakable Yorkshire Burr of James Milner who we've been listening to <laughs> for decades actually what a career you know uh, from Leeds through Liverpool and Man City and England and now to the Albion, obviously a phenomenal CV. The voice is unmistakable because, I mean, to me, it, it conveys everything about him, really. You know, serious, focused, concentrated. Uh, humble. Humble, yeah. And uh, he's just a, he's a solid citizen, isn't he? He is, yeah. What 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 I really enjoyed about that was the him, him talking about the changes in the game he's seen, and I think it's probably been looking back at football. It's probably been the quickest, biggest change over fifteen, twenty years that there's ever been in the sport. Yeah, I mean, I I remember when I first started out and being on the coach before a game for Carlisle and the kit man going round and taking orders of what we're going to have after the game. I mean, it was fish and chips, pizza or Chinese. <laughs> and that is like, that is worlds away from, from what it is now. Like I said, they're nutritionists. Uh, everything that you put in your body is, is sort of, it tries to be beneficial. Uh, not necessarily your fat, fast food, um, fast foods after, after a game on a Saturday. I think he made his debut for Terry Venables, didn't he, at Leeds? Possibly. Right? I think he played for Terry Venables at Leeds. I may be wrong. Yeah, that's correct. I'm getting, wow. the, getting the thumbs up. So that's a different era. And we think the media's changed a lot. God, look at football. I mean, you know, I, I worked in those days. I remember what it was like. It was totally unrecognisable. I mean, the, 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 everything, the, the facilities, the nutrition, the, the preparation, the, the recovery, the, the game itself, the pitches, everything. I mean, I sometimes wonder, the young lads that James Milner is training with, they would have no idea of the world that he started in. And I wonder whether he ever actually talks to them about it and, uh, you know, whether he, whether their eyes glaze over when he tells them what it used to be like or whether they're actually interested in how it felt to play for Terry Venables for Leeds in the, whenever it was, early 2000s, you know? I think one thing you need to be as a player or a manager and stay in the game for as long as he has is you need to be adaptable. Uh, you need to be open to change. You need to embrace change. And that is clearly something he has because if he was doing what he was doing at 17, 18, 19. Now at his age, I'm sure it wouldn't wash. So he's, he's definitely grown with the game and he's taken all those 1% and he's put them to the test. It's actually really good to sit down and re-listen to some of the episodes because different things hit you, don't they, Paul? Yeah, they do. And I think the, the, one of the beauties of the podcast is that People go to places they wouldn't go maybe with, you know, outside organisations, outside agencies. They're comfortable, they're relaxed and, and you get a level of kind of intimacy and insight you might not get, you know, on a conventional radio station podcast, for example. Yeah, we're a safe couple of hosts, aren't we? We are. We look after <laughs> our guests. Paul, you will without doubt know who this is, as will a huge amount of Brighton fans, but maybe not the slightly younger generation. For me, this was probably the most entertaining and it's definitely in my top three. Remind me, I can't say f*** or 
Ka can I? Ideally not. Little old Brighton was little old Brighton, I suppose. And I don't know, I didn't look much further than let me just play football and score goals and see where this can go, really. I didn't really didn't think about the changing room wouldn't would, certainly wouldn't have allowed an ego anyway. <laughs> so there's no chance of me having an ego in that changing room. It just it just seemed to come. The goals just every time I'd go out there, the ball would drop and I'd hit it and it would go in. And when you're a striker, you, Glenn knows when you're in that place, when you're in that vein of form, every single thing you hit just goes in the back of the net. And I felt like every time I went out for Brian, whenever it was, it was going to happen. Yeah, I think, do you know what? A few of those guys uh, were probably, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say no disrespect, but it's, it's very disrespectful. <laughs> Part horses. So, 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 um, yeah, listen, they weren't the most nimble, but if you put the ball in the air, they would certainly put their, put their head, elbow and everything else through the back of you. I really enjoyed that show. It was like having the Lennon and McCartney of Brighton goal scorers <laughs> around one table with you two. And I was, we both still alive though. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Paul McCartney's still with us, you know. You know, obviously, I I watched you in the Amex years, and, and I also sat in that tiny press box at, with Dean, watching Bobby Zamora just just smash them in. And in many ways, I mean, if you want to pick out two players who define the last twenty years of the football club, the, you'd pick out you two. So to have you together and to see you sharing thoughts about, you know, playing in those different eras and and the art of the striker and all the rest of it was was brilliant. And and Bobby actually was really, really lively, wasn't he? I, I remember him being quite a quiet player at, when he was at the club. And yet with you, he was he was sparky and he was, you know, he's got a strong voice, hasn't he? Yeah, I think as players, you're a little bit wary of the press. I, I was definitely the same up until I was about... I don't know. I've got I've got the uh, head of media sat behind me. I'm sure he's nodding along. But I reckon until I was 27, 28, I had no interest in. Uh, I, I would do as little as possible. And then I think as you get older, you become more relaxed. You realise that everyone's not out to cause trouble and stitch you up, and and you open up a bit more. And I think you even do more so when you you retire. And that was uh, that was me and Bobby sitting down and uh, and just going through some memories. And I, I, what really struck me is just just his path. Um, and and how how big of a pedestal he puts that group on that 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 Brighton group on for keeping him young, keeping him hungry, and, and keeping his feet on the ground. Yeah, there were a lot of strong characters in that team, and they and the play the team was set up for him to score, but he still had to do it, and he was relentless. You know, he was lethal, and he was for a long time he was playing below his level, and it was a struggle to keep him at the club. And I think I said during the interview that at the time you felt that as long as Bobby Zamora is still at the club they've got a chance of going forward. The minute he leaves, you know, then the ceiling falls in. But he stayed for long enough, really, to be a huge, huge influence on where the club was going. Let me just ask you, though, as well, about you you saying that until you were 27, 28, you, you know, you backed away from the media. Do you regret that now? Do you wish you'd come out and used your voice and practised and, and, you know, said what you wanted to say? I think it was very different. In those days, I, I don't think there was quite the media attention that is uh, almost the circus round football that it is now. Um, obviously, we're talking pre-social media for a large majority of that. Um, so I, I think 
the fanfare around the game has grown loads. Do I regret not speaking? Which not really. Uh, I don't really think people wanted to hear from me back then. <laughs> but more so when I got to the Premier League. It's winter and it's grey and miserable and it makes you think of hot places like Barcelona. And I enjoy so much the tiki-taka football uh, with, because they're my friends. Mm. They're not just my teammates, they're my friends. But yeah, I'm so happy I, I made the right decision and the, and the project is challenging, it's really challenging and we're working on it, so I'm, I'm so happy. Ben and I were discussing earlier, when we spoke to Pauline, Pauline Bremer, we... Yeah. We thought she's the most decorated person, the most yeah. at the football club, men or women. We, th- yeah. we actually, thought. We, we, we think we might have made a mistake. We think, <laughs> we think it's you. Six league titles and a Champions League and, and God knows what else. We're talking with Vicky Lasada today, Paul. I've seen Ronaldinho. Ronaldinho used to do amazing things. But Messi, watching him live, it was yeah. one of the best things. We were captains at the same time, so I, I did share, you know, in... Christmas time, you go to the hospitals to visit the kids. It was amazing to go to Camp Nou and uh, watch him play. Just the routine on a game day, having to go to Crawley is not ideal. Um, we don't feel it. It's true, we don't feel it like home. It's also red. <laughs> We're blue. <laughs> so, you know, but you see, it's like eating, right? You see something, oh, that looks nice. Uh, you go there, it's all red. And I'm like, the first day I was like, where where are we now? But, I mean, you have to be very thankful that everything we have. But it's great news bringing back the stadium. Uh, so bringing back the, the, the fans near to the city is going to take a few years, but it's a brilliant f- future and it's really good news. Mm. Big issue there, Glenn. The women's team coming back to Brighton. Uh, it hadn't really occurred to me that players would be bothered by being a blue team playing in a red stadium but Vicky really picked that out didn't she <laughs> yeah, it, it hadn't occurred to me either but when she said it it makes complete sense I thought she was really interesting to, to sit down and chat to like we, we mentioned uh, possibly the most decorated football that's ever represented the club her stories about Messi are the ones that are obviously going to hit the headlines because the more we get to know about him is I mean he's he's, he's the world's best player uh, and um I think there's an infatuation with him globally. But for me, her speaking about moving around the world and playing at different places. And the one thing that really struck me was how that generation are blazing a trail for the youngsters coming through today and and what they have created. I think that's plain for us all to see. And I think that's something really special that when Vicky does hang them up, and I know it's going to be a long time from now, but it's something that, that her and all the other girls in that generation can really be proud of. The official Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So I think there's the employment benefits that the club brings. I think it's fantastic that the club is a living wage employer um, and is employing more and more people into its operation. Obviously, as the club looks at expansion plans 
that will only grow. Um, then there's obviously the, the the visitors that come both from across the country and now increasingly internationally. Um, and I think that is incredibly exciting and something that we want to recognise. We know that people right over the world have a growing affection for Brighton and Hove. And, and that's fantastic. I'm so proud as a Brightonian to know that and, 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 and the feeling that that gives me. And I know that means a lot to our residents. Um, but I think, you know, the economic impact of the club is, is really, is really stark. Uh, when we launched, when, when, when we came to help launch the economic impact report a couple of weeks back, I remember someone mentioning to me that right at the start, when we were looking to build the stadium here, it was projected that the club would bring in, you know, just over 20 million. And now we're looking at over, over 600 million a year. I mean, it's just phenomenal. Oh, that was our glorious leader, the leader of Brighton and Hove Council, Bella Sankey. And I enjoyed talking to Bella because she set the football club in the context of the city itself and the social life and the political and cultural life of the city. We recorded Bella after an economic impact meeting at the Amex, which was really eye-opening I think especially for people that don't necessarily look at that side of the football club and like Paul says how much of an impact the football club have had on the city in general and I just it struck me with Bella of how important it is to have somebody that's backing you in that sector um yeah I think I've been very much sports driven um and, and sort of head down week to week and then looking who's next. But somebody that, that's looking after the football club, it's longevity um, in, in the community, in the city. And obviously with the hopes of building uh, a new stadium would be, uh, would be amazing as well. Yeah, it's a good point that, Glenn, because in America, in American sport, the cities and the clubs, the franchises work very closely together. So it's, it's, it's great to see the... Uh, the council understanding just how important the club has become to the life of the city and how how the club advertises the city around the world. And Bella Sankey sounds very much in tune with that. Yeah, I think we've learned to work in harmony. Yeah, it wasn't always that way. <laughs> Sometimes there are big names, legends in fact, who turn out to be really nice blokes. And we had Joe Cole on. Admittedly, not a Brighton player, but he said he'd be happy for his son to play here. Here he is talking about something that came up a lot in our interviews, which is just how much the game has changed. I want to ask the manager the why. You know, why does he allow his centre-halves to stand on the ball and wait? Because we was always taught growing up, you know, you get it. If you're a centre-half or a holding midfielder and the less time you take because of the rhythm of the game, you know, you you move it on quickly. If you can take, they used to say, if you can take half a touch, you take it and get it going like certain positions. If the commentator don't say your name, you, you have a good game because you're moving it quicker, giving more time on the ball. So so, so watch the way that the build-up set up and, and Lewis Dunk um, or Webster might be just standing there trying to suck a player in because, you know, the, and to pop it in and pop it around him. So, you know, trying to find out the why behind the, the great football that, that we're seeing. If my son was a young footballer now and a, a technically gifted young footballer, and he is, but he's very, very young, but he got to the point I, he got to the choice of what club I'd say, come, I'd say come to Brighton, you know, because they're giving young players the chance, playing football the right way. Joe Cole's got a really sharp analytical brain he's he's a he's great company as well out in the foyer after we spoke he was 
explaining how Karu Matoma uh, dribbles past fullbacks, uh, and he was using his feet to show us the, the you know how how clever he is, and so that's the level that it, that he that he looks at the game at. He and I think he's he's thriving as a pundit because he's so willing to study the game and tell you what's going on in it on a, in a on a kind of very you know detailed level. He also talked uh, two really big points stood out from that interview for me and one was that he felt Lewis Dunk could start a European Championship game uh, this summer next summer for England without any difficulty whatsoever as far as Joe was concerned Lewis Dunk is a a starting quality England centre-back in a tournament I thought that was striking I mean he would know having played with the likes of you know John Terry all his, his career and secondly, he said something that I've been thinking for a long time, but it's always nice when a player of Joe Cole's standard agrees with you, which was that Jude Bellingham, if he carries on the way he's going, will be remembered as the best footballer that English football has produced. He's on that track, I think, given what he's doing at Real Madrid. And if he wins trophies and if he wins a tournament with England and he's still playing the way he's playing now when he's 30 years old... He's going to be up there with Bobby Charlton and those people. Yeah, without that, I missed that one, didn't I, Paul? You flew so low on that one. I have worked with with Joe, and he definitely is a student of the game. And when, and the things you mentioned there about Dunkey, I've believed that for for a very long time. And as far as Jude Bellingham's concerned, I think even since we recorded that interview, that podcast, that trajectory has not diminished one little bit. It's 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 very much <laughs> stratospheric. I think I, I, I do agree that if, if he does, which is a big if, because there, there's a lot of caveats to it, health, um, decisions, um, managers, I suppose, to a certain extent. But if, if he does continue in that vein, then without doubt, he could be remembered as one of the, well, the best English player of all time. You mentioned highlights there, Paul. So let me know who you've enjoyed the most. Do you know, I enjoyed every single conversation we had uh, and lots of bits and bobs stuck in my head. For example, I enjoyed talking to Andrew Croft about what it was like, what it is like working with Roberto De Zerbi and his coaching staff, you know, and, and becoming an Italian, if you like, and seeing the game from a whole different perspective. From a personal point of view, I, I did enjoy talking to Kevin Simfield, who ran one of his ultra marathons starting at the Amex Stadium was given a great send off by the club through Brighton. Uh, it was his first ever ultra marathon in the South in, in aid of uh, motor neuron disease research and care. And I was really proud of the way the city turned out for him. The way people gathered on street corners, cheered him on and applauded him. You know, he wasn't sure whether he'd get the same reception in the South as he always gets in the North. And I thought the city performed brilliantly in getting behind that cause and sending him on his way. Do you know what, Paul? You've you've done a few on your own of these podcasts and that is the one that I was most disappointed not to be involved in. I was absolutely gutted that I, I wasn't around to to, uh, to sit down with Kevin. Luckily, though, you sorted out that I got to run the final mile with him, which was really nice down the Brighton seafront. Like you say, I thought the turnout was... It was extra special, I think. And if any listeners want to donate to Kevin's charity, the link will be on the show notes. Glenn, which of the sit-downs particularly kind of interested or surprised you? To be perfectly honest, I enjoyed each one individually for different reasons. But the one that I suppose surprised me the most and, and I enjoyed a lot sitting down with him was Harlem Eubank. I had great memories 
here at Brighton. It was really kind of my first taste of like a professional setup. So I got to train with uh, Lewis Dunk on a, on a Thursday and and uh, yeah, he's a local boy. So it was, it's good to see his progression because they always talked about him from even way back then that, you know, he, he could be a, a premiership level player. And, and could you see that when you when you played against him? Was it was it apparent that he yeah. was levels above everyone else? Yeah, it was, it was. He, he had a lot of different strengths that the other kids didn't have, like a, bit, a lot of versatility and the size, you know, where he could, he could play out from the back. He was a centre-back that had, you know, skills other than just like clearing the ball and his physical size. I think leading into the biggest fight of his life, um, carrying the family name, uh, what he's come through, um, changing codes, changing sport, football into boxing at such a, a late age that he touches on and, and sort of an amateur boxer almost stepping into 19 and, and really feeling the full force of, of, of adult males hitting him. And then I think the, the, the continuation of that and him being crowned the WBO global champion at home in Brighton was just what he deserved, I felt, after sitting down and talking with him. I admired him too for, you know, losing his football career effectively. He didn't make it as a footballer and picked himself up and found a, a fresh start with, with, a, with a huge family name bearing down on him. It can't be easy to bear the Eubank name into the ring. It's a hard enough place as it is without all that expectation on your shoulders. Yeah, without doubt. And, and from everything he said... He just struck me as a real athlete, regardless of, of what sport he was. It seemed to me like Harlem could turn his hand to almost anything. Do you know, I, I used to cover a lot of boxing as well, Glenn. And, and the amazing thing about fighters, prize fighters, is that they're some of the nicest people you could possibly meet. You know, you expect them to be very dark and very aggressive and hostile. Most of them aren't. You know, they, they, they've got an incredible comradeship. And they're, they're, they're fascinating to speak to because they do something that most of us wouldn't even think about doing or dare do. And he was a classic example of a really engaging, likeable, interesting fighter. Yeah, I, th I think I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Is that 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 is probably what I didn't expect from him when he when he walked in the room, especially with with the Eubank name. Um, I expected somebody who was, I suppose, ultra confident and outgoing. And he wasn't that at all. He was humble, another word that's, that's popped up a couple of times on, on this podcast. Um, and he was just a genuinely nice fella. Right from the start, we've designed these podcasts to be timeless. Something that you can binge on, listen to one after another after another. So if you want to listen from the start, there's some good stuff in there. And if you follow the show, you get automatic updates, usually every Tuesday. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the podcast as much as we have recording them. And all that's left for us to say is Merry Christmas. Yes, Happy Christmas and have a wonderful 2024. The official Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. We're not going to sign these bloopers reels off. I'm not sure yeah, about this. Can't. Yeah, are you gonna are you gonna be doing it for the rest of the season or you? you... I, 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 I wasn't well, sure. I don't you... know. My performance has not been that good, Paul. <laughs> no, I just thought you weren't you available. Me, are you giving me like numbers out of ten like you used <laughs> to do? <I> thought... <laughs> Nine. <laughs> no, I thought you were um, coming and going. A bit, so. Well, we'd just like to apologise to any cart horses listening to this, this show. <laughs> this podcast is a Voicework Sport production for Brighton and Hove Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network.